Hi, I'm Porig Walsh and you're very welcome to the podcast series all about this. Our mission is to explore the subject of disability in Ireland today. I'll be chatting with people with exceptional ability, their families, policymakers and clinicians working in the field. We hope that these conversations will inform, inspire and sometimes challenge current thinking on disability. We're all about this and we're glad that you are too. Coming up on today's episode. Don't look upon me as a, a person with a disability that you kind of just provide support to. Look at me as a citizen in a republic that wants to live my life to the full and allow me those supports and then let me get on with my life. Today we talk with Minister for Health Simon Harris about his vision for disability in Ireland. We also get chatting about how he got involved in politics, how disability activism has affected that and about his own personal experience of growing up in a house with a brother who has additional support needs. All about this. Today we're joined by Minister for Health, Simon Harris. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to talk with us today, Simon. Thank you very much. Um, All about this is about celebrating the uniqueness of disability and understanding what this can offer to society. Mm -hmm. And in your role as Minister, obviously you have a unique perspective on this. Sure. So we're just going to really try and talk about your personal and professional background and and where you see disability in Ireland today. What do you see as the vision for people with disability in Irish society today? I think it has to be about empowerment. I think one of the real risks that we face now, particularly as thank God the country begins to have a little bit of money again, the economy begins to come back on track, is that we reduce the conversation to one about just um, just kind of providing financial support to run disability service providers. That's extraordinarily important. But it has to be about a rights-based agenda. It has to be about recognising the fact that every person with a disability, just like every citizen in our country, has hopes, dreams, potential, um, and has a life they want to lead and live. And we need to look at how we can help people reach that potential. So one of the things I'm really proud that we're doing in the Department of Health at the moment, and my colleague uh, Finian McGrath is leading on this, is the whole idea of personalised budgets. So up until now, the state has largely speaking said, we're going to write a cheque for this disability provider, um, and in return they'll provide services for this many people. Actually, the person with the disability is rightly saying, no, hang on a second, I'd actually like a say about how the money is spent because it's my life. And the personalised budget model would be that you, the person with the disability, or uh, your family relative or carer, if if that's how you wish uh, or require, would actually have an opportunity to have an input. I'd actually, I don't want a kind of one-size-fits-all model. Here's how I'd like to live my life. I'd like a little bit of therapy here or like something here. And and that's, I think, really a very important example, I think, how we have to move away from the model of the past. Because if it's just, if the conversation funding is really important, but if the conversation is just about funding, I think it actually misses the point. So I think it has to be about empowerment. Another kind of exciting development in this area is the comprehensive employment strategy for people with disabilities. You know, how do we help more people with disabilities access the workforce? Because, again, the idea that everybody with a disability uh, doesn't wish it to be in the workforce is, is just silly and quite offensive actually these citizens like the rest of us who have the same desires as we all have to make a contribution It's interesting that you mentioned about the individualised budgets because that yep. has been an issue that crops up time and time yes. again in, in my own practice okay. that people have difficulty accessing services and I had worked in Australia before where mm-hmm. they have that model of individualised funding what's the timeline on that in Ireland at the moment? It's due to report by the end of the year is the best of my uh, is, is the best of my recollection so I would hope that it's something that you could begin to see incremental progress on from 2018. The reason I say incremental progress is you know you have to you have to again recognize it's people's rights. So for some people they might 
be quite happy uh, with the current model for other people they would want a greater say so um, there's there's a body of work to do I suppose to ascertain exactly what the person wants and that's what it has to be about it has to be person centred um, but I think this is the way to go I mean I, I remember watching a documentary before in Ireland uh, in this country about two people with disability and in the UK this person had access to a personalised budget in Ireland they didn't both people had the same disability and the person with the personalised budget felt much more empowered to actually go out and seek and secure the services they wanted. So it's not a panacea, but I think it's really important and I think we can make progress on it later this year. What challenges do you think people with disability face in Ireland currently, particularly in, in, with regards to just to society mm. and, and the, the viewpoint of, of disability in Ireland at the moment? I think a lot of it is, a lot of the challenges is one of ignorance and I don't mean that offensively about people, but you know, I, I know from growing up in my own family with a brother with high functioning autism and um, how a lot of disabilities can be somewhat invisible to, to wider members of society. And as a result, um, you know, sometimes I used to always wonder in relation to my own brother, you know, is it a disability or just or does society disable him just because he thinks of things differently and does things differently, uh, but is much more intelligent than I am? Uh, so, you know, I, I, think, I think that is one of the challenges, the awareness piece, which sounds kind of like a soft thing, but it's actually really important, the awareness piece. So... I saw an example recently at a supermarket that I thought was really, really good where they do autism-friendly shopping yeah. on a Tuesday night. And it, it, it's an example of being aware rather than being ignorant. So they just make the supermarket that little bit uh, more sensory-friendly. And uh, that makes such a big difference. I'm sure lots of supermarkets, lots of shops, lots of us would want to do that. But do we all have an awareness to know that that's what is required to be done? So I think ignorance is a big challenge. You mentioned your personal experience sure. there. Um, what are your personal experience of working with people who have those extra support needs? And, and can you tell us a wee bit about those? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think we see right across... Um, right across society where people are given additional supports and given an opportunity to work people can make a huge contribution I know I know of a, I know of one man with autism high functioning autism again who was given a job in an accounting firm and because his job was quite actually rigid it played very much to his strengths and the employer actually said I haven't had a better employee because the guy's always on time you know he always gets his work done if you set him a deadline he meets it now when five o'clock comes and it's time to go home he does that too because that's the schedule every day um, so I, I think I think, I mean, it's like it's like for all of us, it's like trying to find people's strengths and giving people opportunities. As a state, we have a lot of work to do on this. Um, one example, I suppose, and I recently launched a report with Leo Varadkar on this, is the whole issue of when a person with a disability takes up a job, the risk that they would lose some of the supports that they have. So one of the issues is the medical card. If you have a disability, by virtue of having a disability, you may well need uh, health services more than uh, citizens without a disability. If you if you go to work and your support blanket, your medical card is taken off you, and that's an extraordinary worry for people. So one of the things that came out of the Make Work Pay report, uh, which Leo and I launched recently, was that we should significantly increase the earnings threshold for somebody with a disability who enters the workforce. So if you enter the workforce with a disability, we don't just apply the normal medical card test. We actually say we actually make it higher for you, so that you're more. Like, so that's something I'm planning on implementing this year. Brilliant. Um, you mentioned that there's when you were younger, you're, you're, you had a brother who yeah. had high functioning autism. Yeah. How did that affect the, the your experiences um, 
growing up and, and how do you think that has influenced your role as, as minister having that knowledge and mm. that experience and that empathy I suppose mm. to people who are living with, with somebody who has a disability or extra sure. support needs it, 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 it hugely impacted my growing up largely for the better as in that there's my sister and myself and we have our younger brother Adam who has uh, Asperger's syndrome and I mean both both I think both my sister and I would have gotten a an understanding and an awareness of disability and autism that we simply wouldn't have had otherwise so I think in the round it's, it stands to you as a person let alone as a politician or as a minister but you know it's not without its challenges I'm eight years older than Adam my sister's five years older all of a sudden your parents are left with this bundle of joy with additional extra care needs and you know and that obviously yeah. has to take up a significant amount of their time I think it does probably make you grow up earlier uh, in my case I wouldn't be a politician if it hadn't happened because I had set up an autism support group in County Wicklow advocating and agitating for change and support and sharing information and it guess was politicised me at a young age that's, and that's, that's how I got involved really yeah. Yeah, yeah it was through through, through, through disability activism if you like uh, but through my through my brother and you know I was so I mean it basically arose when I was 16 I was frustrated. We were we were living in what we were told was the wealthiest country in Ireland. Sorry, the wealthiest country in Europe, rather. Yeah. And uh, we had this. We had a brother with a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. As a family, we knew nothing about this. We didn't know where to turn for support. We didn't know how many other families were living with this or what it was like. So I had called a public meeting in Greystones in the one of these church halls as a kind of opinionated, stropping <laughs> teenager. If you're living with autism, kind of come along. And about sixty families turned up. And from that, uh, a group called the Wicklow AAA Alliance we, we, we set up. And its main job was to share information. So if you were a mother or father or brother or sister and you had a relative who was five with autism and you were saying, God, we were going through this patch and we don't know what to do. Well, there'd be someone else in the group who'd have yeah. a son at eight and they'd say, well, actually, that happened to us in here. So we got around it. And we used to do kind of quirky things like um, because of the sensory needs of a lot of people with autism, they couldn't go to the cinema because yeah. the lights and it's funny to touch of the seats and the smells of food and stuff. So we'd book out the whole cinema in Greystones and have yeah. a kind of autism friendly cinema um, we'd run support evenings siblings events and we'd start campaigning uh, particularly in the area of schools for, for kind of ASD units and stuff so Enda Kenny was the leader of a very depleted Fine Gael at the time and he was travelling the country meeting disability groups and I met him and he said to me you know you can keep on giving out about politicians or you can you can give it a go yourself and get involved and that's how it happened so yeah so it's it's just a, it's kind of gone full circle you know I was campaigning on disability and now I'm the Minister of Health, so. <laughs> I, I never knew that yeah. that's, that's incredible I suppose you're in the Minister of out for health um, and for almost a year now yep. and I suppose you've already touched on it but what do you think is your most significant achievement in that in that role for people with disability uh, in that time frame well the thing I'm most proud about in relation to disability that we've managed to do in the last 11-12 months is the automatic entitlement for a medical card for any child who's in receipt of domiciliary care allowance I know this issue from being a constituency TD I know it from talking to um, to a lot of groups that advocated and campaigned on this uh, if, you're, if your child receives domiciliary care allowance it means the state has decided that they have additional care needs above and beyond the care needs of another child of a similar age. So the state's already recognised that, but you had no automatic entitlement to a medical card. And there are about 10,000 children in this country who have the DCA but didn't have a medical card. And then there are 33,000 children who have the DCA, have a medical card, but the medical cards are reviewed every two to three years. And this means paper filling, bureaucratic stuff, go off and get doctor's reports. So we passed a law only very recently, uh, which will come into effect on the 1st of June, which will give each child who's in receipt of domiciliary care allowance an automatic entitlement to a medical card. So it means 10,000 children with a disability in Ireland today who don't have a medical card will get it. And the 33,000 children who have one won't be reviewed. Um, so it's provided 
a little one less thing for a family of a child with a disability to worry about just one little one less form to fill out one less review to worry about and uh, we're actually about to make the, we're about to set the website live now people can be able to apply online in the coming days and uh, and as I say the cards will all issue from the 1st of June so that's the most obvious thing um, second thing I suppose I've been doing a lot of work with um, with groups to try and um, including Prad or Willie syndrome um, to try and make sure again talking about ignorance that the state actually understands their needs so you know the state offering children with Prader Willie syndrome respite but respite that isn't appropriate for their medical needs and I've been bringing a lot of groups into this room introducing them to HSE officials trying to make sure there's a greater understanding in the health service of the needs of these groups we've hired 83 additional speech and language therapists to work with early intervention teams we've very significant speech and language waiting times in parts of the country we've a lot of work to do there uh, but the first significant increase in the number of speech and language therapists in recent years has happened in the last year so there's some of the things but I have an awful lot more I want to do. I suppose one of the things that, I, that, that I'm aware of having worked with the other side with adults who yes. have intellectual disability one of the real pressing issues both for families and for people um, who, who have an intellectual disability is actually their living arrangements yeah. and they there was a report issued in 2006 that suggested or recommended that Ireland should close all congregated settings within yes. a brief timeline. However, this hasn't happened. Why is that so slow to, to change? I, I think, I mean, my, my well, it's Minister McGrath's area within the department. I mean, my, my view on this is that it has to be done in a sensitive manner. Um, we've seen in certain parts of the country, without me naming them, where the HSE have gone in to say, OK, we have a policy, no congregation settings. And that policy is for good reason. It's about moving people into the community. It's uh, where we all want to live. Um, it's about empowering people to live in their community live in their, their own home um, and, and that's so appropriate but you've got to remember if you've been living in a certain place for a very significant amount of time that place is has become your home you have an attachment to it you have an affinity to it you may like all of us as, as people we don't like change people with a disability sometimes certain types of disability like change even less so I think I think there's a sensitivity to make sure it's done correctly and um, that it's done over a period of time and um, that absolutely the policy is, is entirely in place and um, we want to move to a situation of decongregation people living in their own community and we should be definitely moving forward in that kind of from this point on but we've got to look look at those people who have been living in congregated settings, some of whom are living there very happily, some of whom are very settled there, whose families have perhaps built up trust and faith with the people providing their care. Um, it's important we get there, but it's also important we respect these are people, the people's homes. This is, this is a very personal thing for people. So I think that I think in that sense, it has probably taken longer than was envisaged when the policy document was produced. I'm not certain necessarily though taking more time is, is the wrong thing to do because I think you have to get it right and you have to be sensitive to different people's views and feelings on these issues. If you had a disability yourself sure. what would you be asking the Minister for Health to, to do for you given the way Irish society is currently at the moment and what supports you might need? So if you, were, if you had a disability and you were to, to mm. meet with the Minister what kind of things would you be asking for? Well based, based on my interactions with people with disabilities and what they tell me I think I'd be asking that the state would give me the supports and then get out of the way So again, if I'm a person who, you know, I'm a young person with a disability and I want to go to work, I want to live my life like every other citizen of this country, I'd be asking the minister to to make sure that I can access the workforce, to make sure that if I need additional supports that they're in place, um, to make sure that if I want to remain in my home, like we all want to remain in our own home, um, that I'd be provided with the supports to live independently in my own home. So it would very much be, and I've picked this up, it would be very much, you know, you know, don't look at me. Don't look upon me as a, a person with a disability. That you kind of just 
provide support to look at me as a citizen in a republic that wants to live my life to the full and allow me those supports and then let me get on with my life I, I, I think that's what I want Finally how would you see disability and people with disabilities uniqueness contributing to society further? Yeah I think I think it's a really good question I mean I think good decision making in any walk of life is made by when you have as varied a degree of people and backgrounds and personalities and perspectives as possible. And therefore, people with a disability have a a perspective. They're not they're not like me or you uh, t- saying people with disabilities would like service. They would say, I would like a service like this. So the voice of the service user is something that we've got to do. And I need to be really careful as Minister for Health. And I am conscious of this, that when I talk about people with disabilities, I talk directly to them and hear directly from their experiences rather than talking to people, albeit very well-intentioned people who provide the services or even families. It's very important you listen to families, but hearing the actual voice of the person with the disability, because, you, you know, if you're going to design a service you d- you need to listen to the people who you're designing the service for so I think maybe in this country in the past and, and it's probably still true to this, to this day and in, in many ways we talk to people who represent or speak on behalf of people with disabilities we've got to get better at talking uh, to people directly with disabilities so like I'd like to see an autism strategy in Ireland just to use it as an example um, they have one in lots of other countries but one of the reasons I'd like to see an autism strategy is as an opportunity in developing that strategy to talk directly to people with autism because I watched the RT documentary recently on, on autism and, you know, you had people on that documentary who were, who were non-verbal, clearly really bright, intelligent um, people. I, I remember watching this young man, Fiacre, I think was his name. And, um, you know, he, he had a way of communicating now. And he would, and you often think, God, if he hadn't been, if he hadn't got the way of communicating, how would society have have viewed him in the past um, and yet he's clearly so bright and so much to contribute so we must come up constantly with ways of making sure we can hear the voice of people with disabilities even if they don't even if they can't um, even if they can't often verbalise it Minister Harris thank you very much for your time thank you very it's much an absolute Park. pleasure in thank you. it and thank you for reading all about this I'm delighted thank you very much for thank talking you. to me cheers Park. thank no, you good to see you thank you very much we're all about this and that's it for this episode of All About This remember you can get in touch and continue the conversation with us on Facebook and Twitter and find out more on allaboutthis.com thanks to our producer Amy O'Dwyer at Trees Road Productions until next time thanks for listening <laughs>